0: I'm Jonathan Moson and this is episode 45 of Mosin at Large, our post-WWDC recap. Tim Cook and his team are done, now all we have to do is make sense of it all. We try and do that from a blindness perspective as my panel joins me to recap WWDC. Mosen at
1: Large Podcast
0: History was made today as Apple CEO Tim Cook led the first ever virtual WWDC, a move made necessary by COVID-19. On this special episode, we'll go through the key announcements of the Apple Keynote, And examine them through a blindness lens. Let's introduce the panel first. Uh, Heidi Taylor, the artist formerly known as Heidi Mosen, is with me in the studio. Welcome, Heidi. Hello. And across the world, we have technology author, Mac user, Anna Dresner, who's taught many people how to get started with their iPhones. Hi, Anna. It's nice to have you here. Hi, it's nice to be here. And Michael Fair, who is the author of the mammoth iOS uh, personal power book that's just come out, welcome to
2: you in uh, in Canada. Yep, Toronto, Ontario. Well, Mississauga, to be precise.
0: Very nice. Very nice. Where the maple syrup comes from. Uh, yes. Let's take a look at the whole thing first of all. What did you think, everyone, of the format of this? Because I have to say, I really liked this format. Obviously, it was pre-recorded. It was slick. But I've always thought that some of these WWDC events are a little bit like those old 60s sitcoms with the laughing track, you know, because everybody sort of gives the obligatory appaw- applause and the yahoo! And it was just nice to be without that. How do did, how did people find the format this year?
2: I liked it uh, for the most part. I did, I did find it, I, I worry just because I'm going to have to sort of follow up and look at, you know, for more information as the week progresses in the other events. It just, it seems, I can imagine there's a lot of details that didn't get covered. It just feels slicker, almost too slick for its own good in some ways. Yeah. So it, it, it kind of gives me pause that I have to be very diligent going forward through the rest of the week. What do you make of
0: it, Anna? Because you are a bit of a veteran of these keynotes over the years. How did you find it this year?
3: Um, I really liked it. It seemed like the, the uh, signal to noise ratio was better than yeah. usual. Um, I don't know if we got less information because, I mean, I I think really we got less time spent on playing games and doing some of that and more time actually giving out information. And the thing lasted about as long as the keynotes usually last. So really, I feel like we got more information in the amount of time that we had.
0: Yes, I'd agree with that. I have been sitting here making a list in Ulysses, and now I have my notes up here on my Braille display, and I'm amazed by the copious amount of notes that I was willing to take, because normally you get a bit of a breather while they go through these videos and, as you say, game demonstrations, and they were just lacking. What do you make of it, Heidi?
1: I found it quite enjoyable, actually. Yeah. Um, I found it a lot easier to see the slides they were putting up because normally they'll just focus on the person and skip some of the slides that like the people in the room can see, but you get like half a slide with a person covering most of it. But this time they really focused on showing the slides and having lots of space around the people, which was actually really helpful for my job.
0: And one of the most democratising things about this is that WWDC can be attended by the 23 million people around the world who have Apple developer accounts and also people who are just interested. So uh, that is a significant development and I wonder whether they will ever go back to the way that things were before. It will be interesting to see. So let's have a look at some of the things that were covered in WWDC and they started off with iOS 14. Now, how many of you have squillions of apps on your phone? How many apps do you have, Anna?
3: Um... Some of them are betas that I don't use, but I think it's about three hundred and thirty. Yeah,
0: yeah, and you'd be in a similar position, wouldn't you, Mike? You'd have lots of apps.
2: Yes, I have loads of apps because I I try even if it looks like they might not be accessible, I'll I'll check and see. So I have loads and loads, easily three hundred plus a lot of games and things. Mm. So it it adds up very quickly. You're not so much of an app hoarder, are you, Heidi?
1: No, I I really like this whole decluttering movement that's going on. So I regularly like remove apps that i haven't used in a yeah, while minimalist yeah. minimalist
0: so, so i don't I, have too many i'm one of those people that is really meticulous about organizing my apps into these very elaborate folder structures so i just have two pages of apps on page 1 i have apps that i just use all the time and then when you go to page 2 of my apps i've got lots of folders all nice nicely neatly organized but i have hundreds of apps in those folders now there's going to be a new way that you can engage with your apps in iOS 14 and this is with an app library. So when you get past your pages of apps, you can see all your apps in alphabetical order. Um, it gets around the fact that, um, you know, you, you might not know on which page your apps are if you don't organize things into folders after page one. And there appears to be some artificial intelligence that helps you to organize your apps by category as well. So, this is a nice little welcome addition that people have been asking for for a while. Any comments on that from anyone?
2: I One really thing I
3: think it's going to be really nice about that is, I mean, it'll be nice for myself for finding things, but also if I'm helping somebody else and I mean, my mother doesn't use Siri. And so if I ever try to help her with her device and trying to figure out where on earth something might be, it's just horrible. And so having an addition will be really good for that.
2: Mike? I completely agree. This is, this is really going to help a lot of people. I don't like folders as a general rule. Why not? Uh, I, Why not? I keep apps on pages. Well, because you have to go into the folder, and then you're in the folder, and you can't look at the status bar without going back out of the folder. Like It, it inhibits me, I feel, and adds an extra clunky step to uh, to getting where I want to go. So this kind of solves both, kills two birds with one stone. You've got the organization. You've got it alphabetical, which I keep seeing a demand for uh, from people. There was a kind of a weird workaround to sort of do it, uh, but you'd have to maintain it. So this way it would just be, it'll happen on the fly. And there are also other organization methods right there in the same library page. So you'll be able to, they have that one for recently opened apps. They have uh, other methods, categories. So it it should really uh, help a a lot of of people, I think. And and this is a really good one for, for blind people, uh, to know where everything is if they're not quite as, uh, you know, as as tech-minded. And I, I just remember, okay, all my shopping apps are on page six kind of thing. But, you know, for some people that's not a workable thing. So this will really help a lot of people
0: so you don't move your apps into folders but you do have for example it's, it's kind like the way britain like the way london is organized where you have say several rows where all, you, all the suits are and the Tottenham court roads where all the technology so you know yeah. for example that page 6 is your your shopping app street for example
2: yeah and all the ranges yeah. can expand or contract as needed so it just mm. it just keeps working
0: yeah, all right. Interesting. I have things like news and utilities and different folders like that. But it sounds like that might, might not be necessary anymore, because the AI in iOS 14 is going to create those categories for me. And so when I'm looking to browse the latest news, I can just go to the, the news category that's automatically been generated. And I presume that will be up to the developer to make sure that their app is classified in the correct category.
1: I think it'll probably. Well, one use, thing about it too. Oh, sorry. I think it would probably use the same categorization that the App Store already uses, right? Um, to categorize apps into different things, and just in regards to the appearance of this, when they're s- sorted into these smart categories, they're much like folders anyway, where you have the three most used apps, or maybe most recently used apps from that category, displayed, and then you open the folder to see the rest in the category.
3: Oh, excellent. Yeah, I like
0: that. Good. You cool. had some comments there, Anna?
3: Oh, I was just going to say, if you did want to declutter, if they're actually sorted by how you use them and you see some app that you don't even remember the name of and it says the last time you used it was seven years ago, <laughs> you might decide to take it off at that point.
0: Yes, yes. And one of the little dilemmas that I do have, I must admit, is that there are certain apps that Siri at the moment just doesn't recognize when you try to launch them. Now, Larry, my RSS reader, is one of them. I just can't launch that app with Siri because it, it doesn't understand Larry, which is about L-I-R-E. And I've tried saying Lyra and all sorts of things, and I can't get Siri to launch the app. So every so often... I do find an app where I think, what what folder did I put that in? And you can, of course, launch it with Spotlight and various things. But it, it sounds like this could be a really good, uh, a really good update. A big change in iOS fourteen is the presence of widgets anywhere on your phone. And widgets have been given a really significant upgrade. So to be clear about what widgets are, these are little bits of information that you might want to consult. And currently you can perform a three finger flick right past page one of your apps and you'll find these widgets. And there's a view there uh, where you can add and delete widgets on the screen. You get things like weather and sports scores and news and all sorts of other data like that. And now they've been set free and you can put them anywhere on your home screen that you want once iOS 14 is released later this year. Everybody's got to love that one, I take it?
3: Sure, seems like a great plan. If you want, you know, instead of having your New York Times app or something, you could have the current news right there, you know, probably a headline or something. Um, Certainly make the screens more dynamic. And because you can put them where you want, you can decide how much of that you want. So it seems like a good move. There's a feature
0: called Smart Stack. And as I understood the description of this feature, when we get iOS 14 later this year, it's going to show you widgets based on context. And I imagine this is going to work a little bit like the Siri suggestions feature. Um, every morning when I wake up, Siri's always suggesting that I run a particular shortcuts that I've written that essentially checks on the the status of, mushroom fm to make sure it hasn't crashed in my sleep and then <laughs> so I can quickly check that the servers are up with a Siri shortcut and it knows that I do that I presume that that's how the um stack is going to work that it learns based on context what could you see from the slides Heidi about the the stack thing
1: um so the way it just seems to work is it's like the new widget you place it somewhere on a screen where you want it and it is very much like have you used the widget where it suggests the apps that you might want to use based on time or location? Yes,
0: the Siri suggestions yeah, widget yeah. type thing. Yep. Yeah, yep.
1: It, it feels very much like that. But rather than it just saying, use this app, use this app, it's a preview into the app it thinks you'll want to use. So for example, for the calendar version of it, it has a list of your upcoming events and the actual like month calendar. So you can see like what day of the week it is and stuff like that. And then they had an activity one, which I think they renamed that app, um, where it has your rings and how much exercise you've done and your duration of like the events over the day and things like that. So it's just like a little preview of the app.
0: It sounds like it's a sort of equivalent to the Siri watch face in some ways, doesn't it? On the Apple Watch, where it's trying to use intelligence to show you what you might be interested in at any given time.
2: That's a good idea. I kind of like, just depending on how much of your home screen it it takes, which it sounds like that's all adjustable. I do like that thought where you can just have, you can set it to show, it it will start to learn what information you want when. Uh, I can see myself liking that uh, quite a bit.
0: Could we tell, Heidi, whether the smart stack is movable anywhere on your home screen or is that still just appearing in sort of that little page of widgets that we've traditionally seen?
1: Uh, no, that's one that can be put on your home screen. Right. And in regards to the like size they take up, the smallest size takes up the size of uh, four icons like in a square orientation. Um, the medium sized one takes up eight, so two rows of icons. And then I think the large one, I don't know if I have a picture of that one, actually. But I think that takes up half the screen.
0: Okay. So the grid on, say, an iPhone 11 Pro Max, uh, on iOS, how many, how many do we have across and down now on the home screen?
1: Uh, well, all the examples have four across.
0: All right. Um, so effectively... The small widget you're saying takes up one row of icons?
1: Uh, no, it takes up half of two rows of icons because it's a square. Because it's
0: a lot of real estate, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so it takes up the equivalent of four app icons in a square orientation. Right. So like the first two in the first row and the first two in the second row, for example.
0: Oh, I see. And so, then
1: the other side of the row is still available.
0: Oh, that's going to make a change then for the way that VoiceOver navigates because effectively what you're saying is that it takes um, – so to, to, it's, it's vertical, is that right? It's, so it might take, say, row 1, column 1 and row 2, column 1 and and then row 2, column 2 and row 1, column 2.
1: Yeah, so that would be the size of the smallest one. That's right.
0: So, what it would take so that's going yeah. to change the whole navigation paradigm a little bit, guys, with VoiceOver yeah. then.
3: I can't wait to describe that in the next book. Yes, good luck with that, mate.
0: (laughs) That's something I no longer have to worry about. (laughs) Now, I want to move on to something that I think is going to be absolutely applauded by blind people. And this is one of the reasons why I try and do these podcasts, because we can look at things through a blindness angle. And this is the fact that picture in picture is coming to the iPhone. And on the surface, many people might be sitting there thinking, yawn fest you know why do blind people care about picture in picture but the reason why we should care about this is that it will mean that you'll be able to go to your home screen while a video is playing and continue to do other things and what traditionally happens unless you pay for something like youtube premium where they've worked around it is that when you go to the home screen when a video is playing the video stops so this is a big deal for blind people who actually are quite happy just hearing the audio while they get on and do other stuff
2: yeah, agree that that is going to be really nice to uh, to to be able to just do it regardless of of the app. Uh, that that'll I, I can see myself. I'm a heavier YouTube user these days, so I can see myself really doing that and be able to. I've often thought, I wish I could just take notes without using a secondary device <laughs> to do that while yes. I hear the video. So this is this is going to be great.
0: And we've had this in the iPad since the last release or two. So this has now come to iOS. Do we know anything about this from a visual element, Heidi, in terms of do we have much control over the size of the little window where the video keeps playing?
1: Uh, Yeah, they showed them um, resizing the video to take up different portions of the screen. And then when it's sort of hidden off to the side, there's just like a little arrow showing that there's a video hidden So it unobscures the whole screen, but you keep the audio.
0: Right. All right. I I assume once we get our hand on voiceover, which people will be doing very soon, um, we'll be able to work out how that works. But one assumes there'll be a rotor uh, action where you can scale the size of that window. I'm just trying to remember how it works on the iPad, which I don't use that often. Do you you know, Anna, what what happens in that case where you've got that smaller picture-in-picture window that can be moved and
3: sized? I don't know. I haven't used that on the iPad. Yeah,
0: much. yeah. Okay. Well, we'll 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 have a play. We'll have a play and report back. Now, everybody loves to talk about Siri, and it sounds like aesthetically it looks quite different. Is it is it a radical change from a visual perspective, Heidi?
1: It is quite the radical change. So, right now, when you bring up Siri, it obscures the whole screen, and then just mm. has like text. What can I help you with at the top, and then like a little bar at the bottom, but you can't see anything else. And now it's just like a little tiny pop-up at the bottom of the screen. So the rest of your screen is unobscured. So it's at sort of the height that the favorites bar
0: is. All right. And so that's good news. Now, the, the things that really matter, I guess, are that uh, – oh, I was interested to note here that Apple is getting 25 billion Siri requests every month, um, I wonder how many of those are asking the same thing twice or three times or a different way because Siri said, hmm, <laughs> hmm, working on that.
2: Yeah, I'm just I'm having- thinking that how many of those requests are epic fails on Siri's part, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> One thing I'm absolutely delighted about is the embracing of audio messages this year, because this is one thing that I find a lot easier to handle in watchOS rather than iOS. Um, you, I really like the watch support for audio messages. And actually, I think the audio quality is slightly better and it's just all seamless and and awesome. So on the iPhone, if I'm using audio messages, I tend to use WhatsApp more than I use uh, iOS's uh, messaging feature for voice. But now you can tell Siri to send an audio message And I hope that this causes more people to use audio because, oh my goodness, sometimes I just have a whale of a time trying to decode people's mangled dictation because they're in a hurry. They perhaps don't use browse screen input or they just just don't want to type anything. So they dictate. And some of the stuff you get back is sometimes hilarious and at other times incomprehensible. So the fact that audio messaging is built right into Siri, that's cool. dictation now runs on device now i was surprised to hear this because i thought that you'd been able to download dictation uh, files for some time now do do, do any of you guys understand what's going on with that comment that dictation now runs on the device
2: Um, i think it has for a while yeah i thought it did uh, you had to download it it's like a 250 meg download of uh, speech data and you can use dictation offline like that's here already i think
3: I wonder if it's now just going to be the default instead of something you have to enable that right be.
0: okay, yeah, well, they say it's lightning fast and and that's all that's all good um so Siri messages any other info that we could see visually on the Siri messaging feature, Heidi
1: um, just that when you're using Siri now, everything sort of appears as a pop up message, like a notification rather than just being on its own screen. So I don't know if that will change how it works with voiceover.
0: Well, if they can speed it up, that would be very much appreciated and make it a bit more reliable. There is this new translation app which translates entire conversations. So for some time you have been able to say to Siri, you know, how do you say I hate soup in... I don't know, Spanish or Mandarin or something like that, Um, because it's like a universal thing. (laughs) And and now you can have a whole conversation, which is really exciting. And Apple, to be fair, is a little bit late to the space, aren't they? Because Skype seems to have owned this for quite some time. I must say I've not used the Skype features, but that that seems to be really impressive what Skype has been doing for the last few years
2: and Google apparently has it's it's got a translate app and everything that uh, that is advertised as as being able to do something similar but right. if Apple's if Apple's managed to do all this on device that would uh, that would be pretty big
0: it was really interesting that they're trying to accentuate this point of difference aren't they that they believe they can come up with really intelligent compelling apps without compromising your privacy and keeping a lot on the device and um, they were making a big play on that because they perceive that to be a big competitive advantage
3: Um, and it sounds like it's just a transcript of the conversation basically which if you have it in landscape it shows one person on one side and one on the other which you know if there was a misunderstanding that might make it easier to figure out what the person had said and then um, you know just to follow the conversation i don't know
1: uh it seems in that regard it's just the most recent statement
0: Really? Yeah. Well, the last thing we want is global conflicts being started because, you know, people, the the, the translator failed and fundamentally misinterpreted something that somebody said.
1: Uh, Um, It's available, which they didn't read all of these out, um, in English, Mandarin, Chinese, French, German, Spanish, Italian, Japanese, Korean, Arabic, Portuguese and Russian.
0: Interesting selection. Mm. So you can do to and from between any of those languages. Yes. Yeah. How do you guys keep your phones? I always lock mine in portrait mode, even though I have the larger max sized phone. I'm not a big fan of using things like the email app and landscape orientation. I suppose I'm just a creature of habit and I've never gotten used to it. Do, do you guys use your phones in landscape mode at all?
2: I'm a portrait mode guide for uh, for the most part, but I do find, uh, like, some games, for example, Six Ages, you have to run that as a landscape game. So for that, uh, that, that would be about the, like, things like that are, are exceptions to my rule. I, I typically will will uh, do things in portrait.
3: I have an iPhone ten at this point, which doesn't have a lot of the landscape features. But even when I had phones that did, if I could have locked it in landscape, I probably would have. But because you can't and then the slightest movement flips the Mm. orientation, I got really sick of it really quick and went back to locking it in portrait unless I'm doing something that requires landscape.
0: Yeah, they are really sensitive um, in that regard. And I think this is one of the things that I find a little bit confusing about the iPad is that there's just so much screen Um, And we'll come to iPad iOS in a minute because it looks like there's just more and more divergence now between the iPhone experience and the iPad experience, which makes sense. But while we're still on iOS 14, which is quite a meaty release, there'll be some people who'll be feeling mixed about this, by the way. We asked people for their wish list for iOS 14. And one of the things that we got back loud and clear was we don't mind if it's a really unsensational release, if they would only just – Stop the thing from being so buggy and make it work. We'll be happy puppies. Well, there's actually <laughs> quite a lot new in here. So we'll continue um, to messages. And one of the things I really appreciate is the fact that you can now pin uh, important conversations at the top of your list. So if you're really getting involved in a lot of group chats and things are getting busy, I can always, for example, have my ongoing thread with Bonnie that's been going since 2013 <laughs> at, the, <laughs> at the top of the list. So that's a great feature.
1: Something that's interesting about the pinned conversations is um, when, well, normally a conversation has like the icon, the person's name, and then the most recent message. But for the pinned ones, it just has their icon. So it won't read out the most recent message. Oh. So you'll have to go into
0: it. I will be interested to see how that works from a voiceover perspective. Hmm. All right. That's uh, that's uh, that's interesting. Now threaded replies. Look, when I heard all this stuff, I thought, oh well, um Apple's really going after Slack and Teams because uh you you have a very Slack Teams like experience here. There are threaded replies. You can now mention people in group conversations, and if you want, you can only be notified when you are mentioned in a group, which is really great. I mean, if they, I, 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 um, I'm in a few groups where they get very busy, and sometimes you're busy too, and the thing is just going off all the time with inter- intellectual banter, you know. <laughs> And you kind of feel bad about being a Grinch. So this is great. You can just get um, notified when you are mentioned. Just going through my notes to see what else we got. Um, Anything else about messages that stood out for you, Heidi, in terms of the the changes visually in messages?
1: Um, No, just that they're talking about how you can add, like, fun icons to different groups. And they added, like, different emoji thingies. Yes. Including a a face mask,
0: right? Okay. Oh, that's that's very good. Mm. Mike and Anna, will this change the way that you use messages? Do you tend to use a lot of groups and things like that in your iMessages app?
2: Uh, I I have ongoing conversations with with uh, some friends, but I I don't tend to do a lot with with larger groups. Uh, I suppose I might pin, say, Sarah's uh, message thread that that we have since who knows when uh, <laughs> to the top and make sure that, that I can check what her most recent message is if we're traveling separately or whatever. But uh, other than that, yeah, uh, other than that ability to pin messages like that, uh, which I will probably use, I, I don't, I'm not sure. It depends on what uh, what happens as if I get involved in more groups that, that use messages. I don't know how cross-platform groups can go. Mm. Um, so that might be a limiting factor there. Any thoughts on this? Yeah, I,
3: my my groups tend to be very short-lived, you know, organizing some event or figuring out what uh, some people in the family are going to give somebody else for a holiday or something like that. So probably won't change that much. I agree being able to pin conversations with, you know, my daughter and my husband and a few people like that at the top will be handy because sometimes <laughs> it can be hard to find somebody when you want to text them.
0: Yeah, one of the missteps, in my opinion, Apple has made is not creating an iMessages for Android, because that's why a lot of people are using WhatsApp. So you have these, uh, there are quite a few groups now in the blind community because of WhatsApp's high quality audio feature and the fact that it is cross platform. They're all happening on WhatsApp. I have some real misgivings about that because every time you join a group, you're disclosing your cell phone number. And perhaps it's just a reflection of, um, I don't know, my generation or something, but I feel really reticent about disclosing my phone number to all and sundry through WhatsApp groups. It would be nice if there was a way for Apple to create these groups where you're your details are anonymized in certain situations, which is something they're really big on, and that would work on the Android platform as well. I think there's a gap there. There's, there's a need there.
3: Maps. That would be nice, yeah.
0: Yeah. Maps then. Um Yeah, I couldn't get too excited about this, but I may be missing the point. I must say that um I just don't use Apple Maps because... I find Google Maps, I understand the objections people have regarding the privacy stuff. I just find Google Maps so much better. (laughs) But uh, Maps will include guides, and they update uh, with the latest recommendations. Um, There are some accessibility features, which actually Google already has. So Google can tell you about wheelchair accessibility and things, and it looks like that is coming to Apple as well. How do you guys feel about Apple Maps?
2: It sounds like a lot of what's coming is also like the, I guess they built it up in the US first a lot of the, yeah. the major changes that are just now rolling out and we're going to get it later in Canada I know uh, this these current raft of maps and changes and it's kind of a combination of the two because it's it's the updating to the feature set and what gets included but it's also the the increased detail uh like they're actually rebuilding all of their maps uh, and the data that is attached to them, uh, and this has been going on for the past uh, few years i think uh, and, and now it 's finally getting to the point where more of this is getting released so I can see like depending on how much uh, accessibility they add like they're they 're talking about how it, you know on the watch too it 's integrating and better, and will give you uh, you know clear directions as to where to go next, and things like that. I could really see it becoming a if if it works excessively well, which I, I predict it, it probably will, uh, I can see, especially if you have privacy concerns, maybe this will be when Maps really rivals Google in in terms of what it lets you tap into information-wise. So we, when you App, use
0: yeah. Maps at the moment, is Google Maps your tool of choice or are you using Apple Maps at the moment?
2: Well, I tend to use uh, either Blind Square or, or Google Maps, depending on what I actually want to do. Uh, Google Maps just seems to the search functionality is, is and the, just the wealth of information it can pull in because, like Google, just is <laughs> yeah. data king uh, is is useful. But if Apple can really get to a comparable level and guarantee more privacy, I can really see that in this day and age uh, being attractive for people.
0: So, Anna, you're often the navigator, aren't you? Um, what 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 app do you use mainly?
3: Well, if it's a known landmark or a contact or something like that, I love being able to say just, you know, get me directions to blah, 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 and have it handled by Apple Maps because it's just so simple to launch. Um, if we're looking for sort of what's around or something, I still might do some bring up something like around me or
0: yeah whatever. Great and, old app then, <laughs> around me and they still updated.
3: Yeah. So, you know, and then kind of, I, I guess I end up using Apple maps for turn by turn a fair amount. It seems to do a decent job.
0: I should look at it again. I do like the watch integration where you get that really cool haptic feedback. And once you understand yeah. it, it's very nice. Yeah. That's a good
3: integration. It is cool.
0: Now, Something that doesn't concern us directly, but some of us who are listening will have significant others with working eyeballs. So I should mention this new uh, Apple car key. They they want to I mean they replace the wallet. I can leave home now without a wallet on many occasions, um and and just have my watch and my phone and pay for things, you know, if I'm catching an Uber uh, that that's taken care of. It's nice. So now they're trying to replace the car key with, uh, what are they calling this apple key is it is it what they call it i apple uh, apple car key i thought key? it was apple car key apple it? car key uh, not the color not the color not the color no. car key <laughs> uh, it uses nfc and the car key your your the key for your car lives in the secure enclave of your phone and if you lose your phone and therefore your car key you can remotely disable your car keys through the uh, find my app or through through iCloud. Anything visual that needs to be conveyed about this feature, Heidi? No. It's pretty self-explanatory, yeah. ain't it?
2: Yeah. Well, the other other thing though too is you can send a copy of your key through messages to various people. So if you wanted to let your teenage son use your car for some strange reason... Don't do it! Uh, <laughs> you can do that <laughs> and you can control how much access they have. I, I, now, they didn't really describe... What restrictive access levels there were, but that uh, I can see parents possibly really liking that uh, that feature.
0: Yeah, it's pretty pretty futuristic stuff. Really exciting. Another really did exciting... it show
2: what the
3: restrictions were like, Heidi? On that or uh, no? It, they
1: just showed sending it. They didn't. They see th- there's a button on the screen called set access, but they didn't actually go into that menu. So. There was no images of what it would do.
0: Mate, you'd better protect your phone if you're a parent. You know, you don't want to be wandering around without a passcode on your phone or, or anything like that because, oh my word, yeah, the potential for fun is just enormous.
1: I mean, would you even need, like, would it matter because it uses NFC?
3: Like, if your kid stole your phone?
0: What, what well, do you they say? they use
3: the car key and send copies to their friends. So yeah. they could use your car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's what I'm worried about. Okay. See,
1: <laughs> I, 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 well, I was, she probably can't. Sorry, I was just must... thinking if they took the phone yes. from you, they mm. could tune <laughs> into your car before you realize they've got it.
2: Yeah, um, I imagine must...
0: that there'll be face ID protection.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say there must be face touch ID required yeah. to really yeah. to do that. You'd hope. <laughs> On, oh, <no>, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm I that. doubt you can use the key <laughs> if
3: you don't have a passcode set.
0: Yeah, Yeah. that'll probably just disable the feature. Apple's really careful about this stuff, so I'm sure they've got the user experience down. Now, another really big revolution... There's a lot here, you know. A lot (laughs) revolutionary in uh, iOS 14, including this new thing called App Clips. This has been something that the tech press has been signaling for a while. And the use case for this is... Let's say that you, I don't know, let's say that you go to a restaurant which has an app. Actually, we have the situation um, quite a bit here in New Zealand now where uh, restaurants have apps of their own and quite a few of them are really accessible when you download the app and you'll find that the menu is there and. Um, They have specials and you can get push notifications about them and things. If you turn up at a restaurant and you happen to uh, be told that an app exists for the restaurant, but you don't have it, it's kind of frustrating to have to go to the app store and find the app and download it and all that kind of stuff. So now they have this thing called app clips and you can access these in various ways, including QR codes and uh, NFC codes, there are special codes that Apple is creating that I think will have some Apple branding. Do they look quite distinctive, these codes for the app clips, Heidi? Uh,
1: yeah. So whereas a traditional QR code is a square, this is like a circular design with lines that sort of remind me of the symbolism for Morse codes. You've got like short lines and long lines, and there's dark lines and light lines. and Yeah.
0: Hmm. And when you have the app clip running, you can pay with Apple Pay. You can do a lot of apple things. And it's possible for multiple, many, many app clips to be created. For example, Yelp can create an app clip for a particular venue. They can create an app clip for every venue if they want to. So this is cool. My only concern is if you've got these codes popping up, uh, we're going to have to be careful that a blind person knows that those codes are there to take advantage of this feature. Yeah, this is the problem with QR codes. It can sometimes be hard first to know they exist, and then when you do know they exist, to get them in the view of the camera.
1: Well, I guess the benefit of NFC is you don't have to get it in the camera. That's
0: right. That, yeah. So the the um, Apple's native codes are NFC based, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of App Clips, Anna and Mike?
2: I like the idea, and you can add. Like they, they also are available in other ways. Like you can get them, like in, either from the app store or just from a website. So if you go to a, like a restaurant's website that you happen to be at, uh, that would probably be a better approach, I would think, for blind people. And then you could just see, oh, they have an app clip here I can use, and I can then order. Hopefully, it would let you look at the menu and things like that accessibly in order, uh, and then you wouldn't have to download the app or, or like. Do a transaction to actually get the app. You could just use what you needed to there, and uh, and presumably complete a transaction. So I can I can see this, especially for tr- people who travel around a lot. Like if you have a really busy day, you're going to various places. I can really see this if it's widely adopted being really useful.
3: Yeah, it seems like a, a pretty convenient sort of thing.
0: Hmm. We'll see how it goes. I wonder if it's an accessibility aid in the sense that you can kind of grab a little bit of an app and find out whether it looks accessible before you download <laughs> that, the whole thing. Yeah,
2: that would be great in and <laughs> of itself, yeah. Yeah, now,
0: that's true. Now, is there anything in iOS 14 that you were hoping for that was not announced
2: I guess for me it would it would still be the tutorial. I I'd, I'd want a a voiceover tutorial, which is not the kind of thing that you'd see in a keynote yes. typically. So I I'm not I wouldn't be surprised, but I uh, I guess the you know they they did announce this new fitness app, but they didn't really detail that very much. So I don't have a sense whether this is the same as the rumored virtual workout app or whether that's going to be a totally different thing. Um I'd forgotten about
0: with... that. Yeah. So they're rebranding activity to fitness. But that's right. There was this sort of leak a while ago of a whole lot of workout videos in that app, weren't there?
2: Yeah. It would seem like the natural thing would be to integrate everything into fitness. So yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if later events in the week kind of detail that a bit more. But that would that would be interesting to see a bit more detail on. Any disappointments for you, Anna? Anything missing?
3: Um, well, there's stuff that I, like, hope we'll have that I, we don't know yet. Like, I hope that um, activities get expanded a little further. Um, like, I you know, I have one for Bard Mobile. It's great. So it turns off Braille translation when I'm reading in that app. But I'd love it to turn off sounds as well. Um, and, you know, that's not an option now. And I'm hoping that activities are expanded to do that sort of thing. And, of course, we just don't know yet.
0: Yes, I will certainly be commenting in the next episode on voiceover changes. Um, what about you, Heidi? Are you underwhelmed by anything that that wasn't in iOS 14 or that wasn't announced today anyway?
1: I mean, I didn't really go in with any expectations or wants. So I think I'm happy with especially the widgets. Um, but I guess I'm not disappointed because I didn't want for anything. So
0: For me, the big one that wasn't mentioned. And I don't know whether Apple's just kind of putting this in under the radar, but I really think it's time we had a lot more control over default apps. So if I want to make Chrome or Edge my default web browser or another email client, my default email client, it shouldn't be impossible. And um, I would have thought that given all the antitrust pressure that is building on Apple, they would have put that in. And maybe they have slipped it in and just not Seen fit to mention it. But that was the big disappointment for me. So let's have a look at iPad OS, And as I was saying earlier, what you're seeing now, and I think this is absolutely the right thing to do, you're seeing iPad breaking away and developing characteristics, behaviors of its own. That makes a lot of sense to me because you've got a lot more real estate to play with. It's not just a big iPhone. Uh, so um, can I just start with overall impressions of of iPad OS 14. And actually, can I ask you, Mike and Anna, how do you feel about the iPad overall? Is there a strong use case that says, you know, an iPad is a good tool for a blind person to have?
3: I think it's probably particularly useful if you've been sighted in the past, or if if you really care or want to know how things are laid out. Um, There are some things I really like about the convenience, for instance, you know, if you want to do an update on the iPad, you go to settings in general is pre-selected, um, you know, on the right side. And um, so, you know, you basically just hit a couple of keystrokes and you're checking for updates, um, you know, things like that, that once you know how the system works, it can be pretty efficient. Um, I can see how sometimes having two apps on the screen at the same time could be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I haven't done it that much myself because I'm pretty happy slipping, you know, using the four finger swipes to go back and forth between them. But if I were trying to grab specific information from Safari and stick it in a word processor or something, you know, that could be kind of neat. Um, so it's not really my first choice because for most things, but um, oh, one really cool one was this uh, periodic table app and having... The bigger space of the iPad was really nice to be able to see how the columns and the table were laid out. So, yeah, there are definitely times, and depending on what you're doing, if if you need to kind of know where things are, where it's really nice. Um, but on a day-to-day basis, I use my phone a lot more
2: than I use my iPad. I've actually given away my iPad. I just I couldn't. Do much you never offered it. it to me. <laughs> no, there were needier people closer to home. Oh. Uh, but I've i really found that it, it was like uh, now I have a particularly uh, particular handicap with the uh, spatial uh, stuff. Anything geospatial like that can really throw me. And I was I was often I, f- I found it really frustrating with the gestures and things. So uh, like my gestures would would go crooked because the space was so large that it's it. it sort of defeated my navigation whereas on an iPhone everything is is kept very simple and separate and, and compartmented where that's not as much the case on the iPad. So... Uh, For example, this whole picture, this app, uh, multiple apps on the same screen, I can, yeah, see the real benefit of that, but I couldn't do it myself. I really struggled with that. So I, I too, will just four-finger swipe between apps and uh, do it that way. But I can absolutely appreciate, uh, particularly if you could see before, uh, that your visual memory would potentially be a real help with using an iPad or uh, things like, like the multiple app situation uh, on the same screen, uh, things like that. But th- yeah, I uh, I just couldn't uh, certainly couldn't justify getting another iPad. It's just it didn't work as well for me. So I'm I'm definitely an iPhone person, uh, more so than than iPad.
0: One thing I find quite arbitrary is that Command Tab works in iPad OS to cycle between apps in the same way that alt tab does in windows and indeed command tab does on the mac and the weird thing is years ago command tab used to work on the iphone too, and then they took it away they actually blocked the keystroke and i do wish they would bring command tab to ios yeah I'd yeah like i don't that. know why you would <laughs> i don't
3: know why you would disable any why would commands. you do that yeah it's very strange.
0: <laughs> so, just looking at what is in iPad OS, uh, it looks like sidebars are a big thing. This is a similar concept to the Mac, where there have been sidebars for years. So, I imagine you'll use VOJ, uh, the, the jump command, to navigate between the sidebar and other parts of the app. Does it look kind of Mac like now, Heidi, with those sidebars and things like the Photos app and the Files app?
1: Yeah, it, it feels like the child of an iPhone and a Mac now rather than just a big (laughs) iPhone, if that makes sense.
0: The blues had a baby and they called it rock and roll. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. So you've got these new sidebars and notes and files, photos. So that makes a lot of sense on the larger screen. Just looking through my notes. uh, The the other thing that they mentioned in the iPadOS section but it also applies to the iPhone section as well. Uh, The phone call user interface is no longer full screen. Is that right, Heidi?
1: Yeah, that's right. It's now like one of those notifications that appear at the top of the screen.
0: Presumably, though, I mean, I hope that uh, blind users will still be able to perform a two-finger double tap, a magic tap to answer the phone.
1: Well, they they didn't do a demonstration with the voiceover, right. so we don't know.
3: No,
0: well, I mean. I would hope
3: so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody, if, if anyone's trying to find the answer button, that's going to be a lot harder.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, especially but, but if, you have, if you have to pull down the notification, you know, or or t- yeah, even even tap be- the banner at the top.
2: Yeah. Presumably they would have kept that. And then you could also, I can see it being, you know, with that smaller call interface you could easily more easily get at the apps that you're typically i I guess that's a running theme through all of this they're they're eliminating those cases where you're pulled out of your context and pulled away from the apps that you're you're in it seems to like with siri with this phone call change
0: how will you were you able to determine heidi so let's say for example you get and and i can think of an immediate scenario where this works let's say my phone rings And uh, I'm expecting a uh, a company that I was on hold for, you know, and the company gives me the option. You are now 95th in the queue and we expect to answer your call in 75 minutes. And so they say if you want to request a call back, press one. So let's say you get your call back and you're in the middle of writing a document and you answer your call. Uh, How easy is it going to be from now on to get to your number pad to confirm that you're ready to take the call and press one or something like that?
1: Um, they didn't actually show any of that. They just showed the pop-up. So they didn't show what would happen when you actually answered.
0: Okay. So maybe when you answer, that's when you get the, uh, right. So maybe when you answer, you you still get the full screen view of the phone app at that point. It's just a notification that's at the top.
1: I, I think that might be the case since right. they didn't go into any further depth.
0: OK, so that makes a lot more sense. And so that way, then, if you if you dismiss the notification or you just ignore it, you just keep working in the app that you're in. But then when you answer, presumably, however, the answering is achieved, then the full phone app would pop into view, I take it. Yeah, that makes sense. OK, um, search has been upgraded can you tell us anything about this from a visual standpoint, Heidi? They made a big song and dance about uh, search being uh, universal or you can search within an app. So quite a bit going on there. Yes.
1: Yeah, so we, is it called Spotlight Search at it, the moment? Well, it
0: used to be. Yeah. Is and it called that now?
1: They just referred to it as search. So yeah. I don't know. And when right now, from a visual perspective, when you use it, it blanks out the whole screen and just has the search bar right, so and then displays the results. Whereas now it just displays the search bar, but everything else is still there in the background. It's not obscuring anything. It's right. where they're getting with it.
0: Right. All right. Now, am I the only person on this panel who does not own AirPods? Yes, I think I, I have be. them. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, I have them. Have you got AirPods, Heidi?
1: Yeah, I have Bonnie's old ones Bonnie's when you gave her old, yeah. the ones you had yeah. for all right, five right.
0: seconds. So <laughs> I tried AirPods to have a play and just found that I wasn't getting enough volume for my hearing loss. It looks like there is some really cool stuff coming to AirPods. Um, two main things. The first is that AirPods are now going to seamlessly move between devices. Now, I was surprised about this because... Wasn't this supposed to be a thing already, or or, or not? I, I thought that it was. They were supposed to delicate to, to to delicately hand off between devices. Now
3: they were supposed to, but it's never worked that way. Ah, really.
0: okay, yeah. The only thing I'm a little
3: worried about on that is like a few weeks ago, mine were doing that in a way that was really annoying because like I'm used to listening to something on my iPhone and then the audio controls pop up on the watch, and so. Like if a song comes on and I want to know what it is, I will um, wake the watch and it'll and I'll just use the voiceover speaker to tell me what song it is. But this one day, whenever I did that, the music would stop playing and voiceover on the watch would come through the speaker of the AirPods. And you know, so yeah, okay, I could hear what I was playing, but then I'd have to you know get the phone out again and start playback again. Mm. So I hope it's not quite that seamless or that you can control to some, especially how it works with the watch versus your other device.
2: I've often found that it will switch, like I'll be pulled out of what I'm doing uh, unwillingly because of my watch demanding to to say something over the AirPods. And I'd rather that I I wanted to be able to disable that uh, in in certain cases so I, I don't have to worry about that happening when I'm doing something critical on the iPhone. <laughs> so hopefully there'll be some, some control put in on this so that we can can specify that sort of thing. I Are hope we- so, because
3: I would love it for other things. I'd love to be able to pick up my iPad or go to the Mac and have it just switch to those. That would be terrific. Or the iPhone. It's really the watch is the one that you sometimes want to be able to use while using something else. And I would love to be able to tell it, you know, don't switch... To the watch.
0: When you have voiceover connected to uh, – when you have AirPods connected uh, and you're running voiceover, can you use the audio destination rotor option to get voiceover on the speaker and not through your AirPods?
3: It's certainly there. I don't think I've really tried it.
0: Because where I'm getting to is maybe that option could be added to watchOS, and that way you could choose to keep voiceover on your speaker on watchOS – Although that doesn't get around perhaps the Siri question either, does it? Because sometimes you don't want Siri to talk through your AirPods either.
3: It would help a lot, though. Even if it only switched for Siri, I I could live with that.
0: Okay. Well, it would be interesting to see how receptive Apple are to that feedback. Because I think you've made a really good point, both of you. Our use case is just a little bit different from the mainstream. Um. I hope that this also works with made-for-iPhone hearing aids, because I do have an iPad Pro, and I have used it a bit over the years. The iPad is one of those things where, in principle, I pick it up and I think, OMG, squee, this is such a sexy, thin device. Then something always kind of makes me think, nah, I've I've got my iPhone with me anyway, what am I doing? But when I got my made-for-iPhone hearing aids last year, my love for the iPad took a real turn for the worse because it just does not elegantly hand over. I can't, for example, switch off my iPhone, and there's normally a sort of a brief period, two or three seconds, and then the hearing aid drops the connection. And I've been very lucky. A lot of other hearing aid users with different brands have had all sorts of issues with this in 13. For me, with my Oticon aid, it's been perfect. But what should happen then is you turn the iPad on, which has also been paired to the same hearing aids, and with the connection available, it should just pick it up, and it does not. So I'm hoping all this AirPods work uh, also trickles down to we mere hearing aid users because that will make a real difference. Now, the other thing that is very exciting is the spatial sound, the spatial audio. You guys must be thrilled about this, right?
2: Well, if you have iPod Pro or AirPod AirPod Pros, then yes. Uh, I, as from what I can tell, it doesn't sound like that's going to trickle down to regular AirPods. Although the second My the gener- modern generation of those do support uh, Dolby Atmos, mm-hmm. so uh, it's it's kind of I'm not quite sure why they would not. Uh, maybe there's more processing ability in the AirPod Pros to to because it does track. It's not just the the sound. It's it's. Tracking the motion of your head and of your display, so that it can keep the sounds where they should be, as if you were turning and and in a space.
0: Yes, for those who didn't actually hear the keynote, to try and explain what's going on here. So you, you've got a couple of things. First, you, that they're trying to simulate surround sound. The fact that they can even do this with something as small as those earpods is pretty mind blowing. And they do support um, Dolby Atmos. So if you are playing an Atmos soundtrack, you should be able to get uh, even more immersive sound. And that allows me to jump back on my hobby horse that I've been on for the last week or so (laughs) regarding the fact that what we find, with the exception of Apple TV Plus content and great applause to Apple for for doing this, but in general – Uh, Studios are not encoding audio description soundtracks with Dolby Atmos, which seems to me incredibly discriminatory. There doesn't appear to be a technical reason for this. Uh, And the fact that blind people who are an ideal audience for consuming this content and appreciating it have to settle for... Uh, older technology just because they need audio description is insulting and un- unacceptable and I, I think with more people having access to Atmos in a meaningful way through this feature maybe the pressure will build on the studios to fix this um, but how are you feeling about this yourself Anna? Are you, are you rocking the AirPods Pro at the moment?
3: No um, oh. I've got the second generation ones I don't know I, I have um, hearing aids that go over the top of my Ear with a little wire going in so I can use yeah, the regular too. AirPods. I'm not sure I could even
2: use the Pros. I had exactly the same reservations myself.
0: Right. So here we go. All three of us hearing aid wearers. How
1: oh, cool. Look yeah. at me, perfectly <laughs> able. There, there
0: you go. You're working <laughs> eyeballs and no hearing aids. What are you? <laughs> uh,
1: obviously the outcast in this group. The I other
0: thing, the, the other thing about the spatial audio feature, and Mike alluded to this, uh, and just to, to make it clear for those who didn't hear the keynote, which will be available by the way on Apple's podcast feed if you want to hear it. But as Mike says, there's this—they're using the accelerometer so that as you as you move your head and as you move your phone, somehow the, the sound changes to reflect your relationship to the screen. Um, I'm not sure if I fully understand the benefit of that. I mean, don't you just want? Don't you just want the I sound? Thought it
3: was the opposite. I thought it was to keep everything in the same relation to you, even if you moved your head around, so that the person in front would still be in front. But I could have it backwards.
1: Uh, the impression I got from the cute little animations they provided <laughs> was that the front sound is supposed to come from where the image is. And so if you're no longer looking at the image, the sound is sort of shifted. So you turn your head to the right. So this sound is now coming from your left slightly.
3: Yes.
0: Yep. Oh,
1: okay.
3: Yeah. Which, totally the opposite of what I thought they said. Oh.
1: Which I feel like could be annoying for a blind person because you don't necessarily want to look dead on at a discreet. Like, Dad, you use your phone in your pocket all the time. I do. So that <laughs> sounds like it would be really annoying.
2: All oh, the sound would be coming from down low and on yeah. the side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, so we'll have to have a play with this and see what it's like in reality. But um, I'm I'm excited that Apple's paying this much attention to audio at all. And as I say, huge congrats to them for caring enough to make sure that their Dolby Atmos soundtracks for audio description exist, which is not what other studios are doing. So they just lead the way again. Now, uh, on to watch OS. Uh, developers can now enable multiple complications so that you can essentially create a watch face devoted to one topic if you wanted to. So some people I know are real weather weather buffs. And um, I've used a few really good weather apps that work well on watchOS. Um, The two that I like the most in the space are Carrot Weather, which I think is brilliant, and also Weather Gods, which is accessible and has some really nice features where you can sort of hear the weather and they've got different uh, watch OS complications. So now if you want, you can have an entire weather face with multiple complications from the same developer. Can both of you see any potential for this?
2: I can sort of see you, you putting together uh, depending on what what gets included in in an app like you could put a a bunch of complications that track different things that are related and and have a, a kind of almost like a little mini dashboard of information. Right there, which you sort of can now with with the separate complications with separate apps. But this would all be generated, as I understand it, from one app. So I I can sort of see advantages to that.
3: Yeah, I could see advantages. I'm not sure offhand. I can't think of a use case that I would personally do, especially since Weather Gods is so good at. Um the weather app is so good at um weather gods at, at just telling you all the information that I could ever possibly want. Mm. But um it, you know, I, I mean I'm sure if you're interested in certain things, being able to have a whole bunch of information the specifically that you chose on that what on that face and be able to get the the piece of information that you want at a particular moment could be useful.
2: For news and reference apps, I can sort of see this being being uh, useful. You could really put together, uh, you know, an, almost a, a wrist-top news stand, uh, just customized to your whims. Uh, I can sort of see that uh, being, being something I might do.
0: Yeah, so you could have a news app that has different widgets, say, for headlines, sports, technology news, and then just have a watch face where it's all happening on there. But yeah. then you sort of think, well, why wouldn't you just run the app, really? But yeah, <laughs> be interesting to see yeah. what happens with this. And the really th- cool thing is that you can share your watch faces. Um, and I, I like this idea because we've been running a feature on Mosin at Large recently that Robin Christopherson, one of our listeners and a prolific podcaster himself, Uh, initiated called What's in Your Doc? And I've also extended that a bit to cover what are the complications you'd like to have on your watch face. So it would be kind of cool if we could complement that by inviting people to share their watch faces and then we can link to them in the show notes and people can sort of download different listeners' watch faces. I reckon that's really nifty.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. I think that will be really useful, especially if somebody does a lot of work to put something together then being able to tell some, you know, to share it as opposed to having to walk somebody through all the different things they did to get it would be a major improvement.
0: Yes. And I think that's right. I think this will be really welcomed by many assistive technology instructors, people who just help other people out to be able to just do this and, and send it along. And speaking of blindness, The big one, of course, probably in this whole keynote, has to be that we finally got the sleep tracking built into watchOS 7, which is expected later in the year. And I should say that for the first time, there is going to be a public beta of watchOS. Previously, that's only been developed uh, for developers. And so that's uh, that's a big change. If you have an Apple Watch, you'll be able to sign up through the Apple Seed program and receive a, a beta of that next month. But, so this is sleep tracking, and a number of us are using third-party apps. Do either of you use sleep tracking apps at the moment?
2: I haven't, but I, I can sort of see. Uh, I have a sleep a CPAP machine. I, I'm not sure what it would do with that, but but I can sort of see the the advantage there. Of of it, it sounds like it's going to integrate, built a whole routine for you, and it's also on the iPhone. This isn't something that's just limited to the watch, apparently. Mm. Uh, so it will sort of. Integrate, I presume, with the health app too, and the watch will track your micro movements. So as you're sleeping, it's going to be running. You'd have to obviously charge your watch in the morning again, uh, but you you could get uh, it, it can determine from these micro movement movements a lot more detailed about like when you're waking up, what kind of sleep you're having, and and so forth. So. Uh, I I can sort of see this really benefiting, you know, people with sleep trouble. I'll certainly give it a spin and see what it does. And, of course, the Taptic Alarm. It will wake you with either an audio or Taptic uh, Alarm in the morning. Uh, And it sort of builds, even as you're going to bed, it has this whole routine where it'll sort of build a wind-down schedule for you as well. And sort of, I, I guess, dim to the for sighted people. It would dim for the blue, you know, blue light out of the activate nighttime mode and, Put on Do Not Disturb automatically and things when, when you ought to be going to sleep kind of thing.
0: Yeah, play yeah. a relaxation app. Yeah, yeah. Are you using sleep checking at the moment, Anna?
3: No, I did try it a couple of years ago when I wrote a book on fitness apps. Um, but in general, I do have some issues with sleep, mostly you know, when I feel anxious and mm. having something tracking my sleep. Kind of makes me feel more anxious <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> when I'm trying to yeah,
0: settle down. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean,
3: Have I'm you- sure I will test it out at some point, but and I think it's good that it's built in for people that do want it, and it'll be kind of interesting to see what it comes up with. And since they're trying to make suggestions for people and not just say, "Oh, you only got six hours of crummy sleep," um, you know, if they're actually making suggestions of things that you might try that might actually help improve people's sleep. That's cool. And, you know, it, it's worth having it as an option.
0: Yeah, I actually have, I used sleep plus plus for a while and I don't know, I, I I didn't find that tracking my disastrous sleep helped it be any less disastrous <laughs> um, to be honest, but, but I do wear, I have been wearing my watch. Uh, what I do is I generally get my, rings done by probably about six thirty seven at the very latest. And then I've been putting the watch on charge after I've completed all my rings so that it's at 100% by the time I'm ready to go to bed. And then I put it back on. And the reason for that is it is a great tool for somebody with a hearing impairment. I used to use this thing called a TCL Pulse, which had an iOS app. And you, it was a little, little toy piece of hardware. You put it in your pillowcase And then when it was time to wake up, it would vibrate your head off and you'd know it was time to wake up. But then I found that actually the alarm on the Apple Watch, the vibrating alarm, tactical alarm, was just fine and it wakes me up. Um, Depending on how deeply I'm sleeping, I may not always hear my phone. So I always sleep with the Apple Watch on and get the alarm in the morning. So I'm used to that anyway. So I guess I'll give this a try and see what it's like and what it can tell me um, I think I think for those of us with non-24, you know, you're just kind of stuck with it, aren't you? Um, so we'll, we'll see what it does. Any visuals we should know about in terms of sleep detection, Heidi, or sleep, sleep tracking?
1: Um, nothing specific, just that it's pretty.
0: Oh, well, that's good. Yeah,
1: I mean, it dims the display. It gives you a simplified watch face that only gives you the date and the time and the time your alarm's set for. So it's sort of – have you ever looked at your watch when it's in, like, that bedside mode? Yes.
0: It's like that. Yeah. Because that would be the temptation for some people if they're wearing their watch. You're sort of just slightly drowsy, and you look at your notifications in the night. You don't want to do that. That'll wake you up. Yeah.
1: So it's in that mode all night.
0: Right. And hooray, automatic hand-washing detection. I hope this this doesn't (laughs) drain battery life because it's – I mean – it's a bit creepy. So it's it's listening for running water. Presumably, it's listening when you flush the latrine as well. Um, <laughs> it's listening all the time. <laughs> and just, then, just... what, what does it do when you've when you've done the deed to your satisfaction? It, it makes a little ping, and and it comes up with a little thing doesn't an idea yeah, bad.
1: so so when it detects that you're washing your hands it starts a 20 second countdown which is beautifully animated to look like soap bubbles and <laughs> if if you stop before it finishes the countdown it pops up with keep washing and if <laughs> if you wash your hands for the right amount of time it then comes up with more beautiful bubbles that say well done
2: Big brother, mate. Big brother. <laughs> yeah. Holy smokes. And and what if you just walk out without washing your hands? <laughs> Is oh, it going to yeah. yell? Is it going to yell oh, you dirty scoundrel if, at you? Like yeah. What? <laughs> well, I
0: hope that sends an electric shock down your arm. Frankly, <laughs> <laughs>
2: especially in this era. <laughs> Zap! Get back in there. Finish yeah, washing your hands. Get back in there, you
0: <laughs> filthy person. Right. All right. So that's good. So that's the hand washing notification. So um. Watch OS 7, not too many new features, but they're big, aren't they? I mean, the, the sleep checking in particular is one that people have been crying out for for yonks. Yeah,
1: and, and just on the little screen they show at the end to, like, recap that section, there are a few things they didn't talk about for this one. Um, so there's something that says headphone audio notification. So I don't know if that's just a place of sound if your headphones are connected or something. I'm not sure. Um, uh, the, it's got the on-device dictation. Uh, On the Apple Watch? Yeah. On the watch? Yeah, that's what it says.
0: Wow, that is cool.
1: Uh, It's also got the language translation. Um, Wow. It mentions shortcuts. It just says shortcuts, so I don't know what that pertains to, but I guess that's bringing the Siri shortcuts. Is they already on the watch? You
0: can run those on the watch already. Uh Yeah. I
1: wonder if it's like you can build them on the watch Mm. thing now. And there's also this section called mobility metrics, but I have no idea what that
0: means. Right. Well, that's cool. See, See? very <laughs> useful to have that additional info. Uh,
3: I'll uh, yeah, Probably curious to know whether how much. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, I'm just. I'll be curious to know how much of this stuff is available. You know, how far back? Because of course yeah. they don't say that. You know, I have an, a, a series three, and I think a lot of people do.
2: Me too. Um, yeah, Series three for me.
3: Know, <laughs> like, I bet it doesn't do the hand washing because it doesn't do noise detection.
0: Ah, very good point, yes. Yeah, so one would think that that could be related. If it can't listen for the noise detection thing, it may not do this. Oh, no. Oh, no, Uh, devastating. Uh. Yeah, well, (laughs) I guess it's fortunate for us that we didn't get a carrier who supported the Apple Watch cellular until late last year, and I said that I would not buy another Apple Watch until I could get the cellular one, so I waited until Series 5, so I should be okay. It'll yeah, be, well, yeah. Be, it's the latest one.
1: You can have the happy bubbles.
0: Oh, that's excellent, happy bubbles. <laughs> I'm I'm i like fastidious about washing my hands. I, when I get out of an Uber and I'm in the office, I immediately run in there and wash. Oh my goodness, I'm just <sighs> anyway. So onto a few um, onto onto a few uh, privacy issues. Um, you can now convert existing accounts to sign in with Apple if you want to do that, and uh, Apple is claiming that. Uh, sign-in with Apple has been a big success. I've actually been quite surprised by how infrequently I've come across sign-in with
2: Apple.
1: Yeah. I sort of forgot it was a thing until they mentioned it, actually. Yeah. So. yeah, I, haven't yeah I haven't seen made much it,
2: either. I haven't made a lot of use out of it, really. I mean, it, I, I appreciate that they've done it, but I haven't uh, really found, personally found it uh, needful. I, I typically will use login with uh, just the regular, the password, it, it does, I, I do like how it remembers your passwords now and everything, and you can just look at, you know, with a face ID or touch ID and get at them. Uh, that's quite nice, but I, I haven't used the rest of, uh, of this whole sign in with Apple all that much.
0: I use 1Password for that because I have it across my Windows devices as well as my iOS devices and the watch, and um, I'm a huge 1Password fan. But but it does work in a similar way, and it's great that Apple have an API that allows one password to do its magic on that platform. I um, I have used it a few times, and it's kind of nice when you trial an app. I was I went through a phase over the summer where I was looking for an app that tracked my food intake that really sort of embrace the the low carb lifestyle a lot of apps are obsessed with calories uh, and and i was more interested in in the nutritional content and keeping the carbs low so i tried a lot of apps and i found that sign in with apple was good there because you know a lot of those fitness sort of nutrition fitness weight loss type apps can be very spammy and they're trying to send you lots of emails encouraging you, motivating you, (laughs) challenging you. And then if you delete an app, then you actually delete the sort of little fictitious email address um, that the app has for you, and they just stop bothering you. So it's a very slick thing in that regard. Now, you can now see an app's privacy policy, or you will be able to see an app's privacy policy before you download the app. And I cannot wait to see the one for Facebook.
2: Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's good. Uh, they had talked about uh, Apple at home, and they made the point that um, Apple's aim is to ensure that devices that you use at your home are easy to use, private, and they work together seamlessly. There's an alliance, which includes Google and Amazon and Apple, for interoperability with smart home devices. And uh, Apple had to do that Uh I don't know how much uh, either of you have embraced the smart home lifestyle, but we've really done this. And what I've found is that of all of the platforms, HomeKit is the least well supported. We can get devices everywhere that work well with uh, Amazon Echo, which we've embraced, and Google, which we have not. But it's it's much harder to find things that work with HomeKit, at least where we are.
2: Maybe that's going to change with this new alliance. Maybe I hope all so. In- but i uh in an apartment. There's, there's not. Uh, I can just go over and and turn on the light. You know, it just doesn't seem overly uh, conducive to to smart devices. Although I would love a microwave that was just fully accessible. Uh, other than something like that, I can't think of much else that uh, that I would really go after with smart device things.
0: Are you living the smart home dream, Anna?
3: No, we don't have any smart home stuff.
2: You should come over, guys.
0: We, we're just, <laughs> oh, we're goodness. just, I mean, look, all, all, every single light bulb in our house is, is smart. And, and as somebody without light perception, I love it because I can ask Siri, you know, are the studio lights on or whatever, and it will tell me whether they're on or not. And, um, yeah, we've got the Ring Video doorbell, we've got heat, all controllable and um, it's it 's slick, but it is Even really the
1: tv 's voice control yes, right now. the
0: TV now is voice control, <laughs> and you can change channels from everywhere, but it's it's kind of this this lack of interoperability has been an issue, so this is a great initiative, and I look forward to hearing more about that. also, when you add an accessory now, Apple is going to suggest useful automations they used to be called scenes that you can um, use with that accessory, doorbell notifications if you're and a HomePod owner, it sounds like it's going to tell you who's at the door. So it's using some sort of facial recognition. What is it doing there?
1: Um, so in the Photos app, um, ah. it can automatically categorize like – it can scan photos and figure out who is the same person, and you can give a name to that person. And you can also train it by saying, yes, you got it right, no, you got it wrong. Um, this is actually this person anyway. So it's using that data – And then it runs facial recognition. And if it's someone that it recognizes from your photos that you've named, it'll say so-and-so is at your door. Okay,
0: That is fantastic. And I hope that support for the Ring Video Doorbell comes to HomeKit because they've been promising it for a long time. Uh, If we could hear as a blind person that, you know, someone we know is coming to the front door, that is super slick. Yeah. TVOS. Let's have a look at this picture-in-picture um, picture. again, that is available right across tvOS. So I suppose where this would be quite handy, and I gave this example in my Samsung Smart TV review, you can AirPlay from your phone or your iPad or from your Mac as well to the the big screen through Apple TV if your big screen doesn't have AirPlay support natively. And you can have a little window Right. It's sizable, I take it, Heidi. Is that that how it's going to work?
1: It looks like it's sizable, but I don't know how you would size it.
0: Um, Yeah, well, I (laughs) presume you use the remote. Um, And so what it means is, for example, you, you could be watching a show on TV that has a hashtag on social media and you might be able to, for example, have a little ticker style thing of your own where you're checking that hashtag um, various things like that so that's picture in picture i was super mike you you at least will be super excited about this too that uh, they announced that the foundation isaac asimov stuff is coming to the apple tv plus
2: that should be interesting i am oh, looking forward to mate. taking that in i've yet to actually read the books and oh, really a i'm
0: surprised you haven't read them uh,
2: I've I've read like the first like one of them I I have a vague memory of doing that it must have been back in my teenage like early teens, and so a lot of it went went right over my head at that point, but I am looking forward to hearing that and. And checking out the other – like, there's a BBC adaptation, too, that yes. I wouldn't mind comparing it to. So that will be an interesting exercise.
0: If you can hear the BBC radio adaptation that was done in the 70s of the Foundation trilogy, I really recommend it. Um Oh, okay. oh man. Yeah. That's a great series. You're, you're an Asimov fan, Anna?
3: I, I really like Isaac Asimov. I've never read that series, though. Oh, wow.
0: You'll enjoy it. You really will. So uh, Apple uh, TV OS, really, not a lot, is there? I mean, not a lot at all this year. Uh, no. Come on. I mean, it's underwhelming. That's what it is. So, yeah, <coughs> they, they haven't, they, they've left it alone. Um, but to be fair, Apple TV is kind of like the – it can be a home hub. So, clearly, a lot of things have gone into um, to the smart home. That's where they're focusing their attention. I think one of the reasons why they could be holding back with – TVOS. We got no hardware announcements at all at WWDC, and rumors are that there is a new Apple TV in the works. So we may well learn more about TVOS when we hear about new Apple hardware. I don't know if Apple can hang on until September or whenever they're going to announce the new phones, but they've got a lot of hardware in the pipeline. So then, let's have a look at the 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 Mac, Um, before we get on to the really big story of the day, what the heck? Where did they come up with the name of this operating system? Does
3: it mean something? It's another park, isn't it? Oh, is it? Is it another park? Is that what that is? Another Californian location? I think Hmm. so. Is it? I'm sure I've heard of it. I know it's a place. I don't really know anything more than that it's a place, so I'm just guessing it's another park. I didn't know it was a it place. It
1: is a rugged stretch of California's central coast between Carmel and San S- Simon. Simion.
0: Okay, I didn't know that. There you go. Big Sur.
1: Big, Big Sur is spelled S-U-R. Yes,
3: yes, Big oh, Sur. Oh,
0: thank
3: you. I was wondering about that.
0: Yeah, fascinating. <laughs> so that's the name of the new operating system, Big Sur. Uh, you're going to hear some different noises coming out of your Mac if you have one because they've completely redesigned. There's a lot of aesthetic changes this time, so everything looks quite different. How substantial is the is the visual change, Heidi?
1: It feels a lot more iPhoney.
0: Yeah, there's it... a lot of convergence going on. We'll come to that, of course. But but yeah, so.
1: Uh, but they've also done a lot with like transparency to give it a more streamlined look, which is quite cool. Hmm. Um, but probably not that important here.
0: New Redesign Notification Centre, and they've taken a leaf from the iOS book and they're now grouping notifications. That's a feature I often actually turn off. I'm not a big fan of the grouping, um, but a lot of people do like that, so you'll be able to do that. And also uh, widgets are available in the Notification Centre as well. Messages, there are some improvements there. Um, with... Uh, Memoji making an appearance in Mac OS. There's improved search. And um, so it's, it's it's essentially keeping up with iOS, really. Um, one thing that is very exciting is that I think quite a few blind people were underwhelmed by the lack of accessibility of some of the Catalyst apps. Now, Catalyst is a technique that allows developers who are rocking iPad OS in particular to quickly port their Mac so that, their app so that it runs on the Mac. And there were a few apps that had a go at this last year, and some people expressed some concerns about the accessibility of those. It looks like this is being addressed this time because there's improved menu bar support and improved keyboard support, which were the two major issues. Uh, Anna, you're the, the Mac user here. Did you have a play with any of the Catalyst apps, and what was your impression of them so far?
3: Um, I really didn't i mean i I don't know even like which apps were using Catalyst I mean, I know that when they yeah you know, when Apple imported news over at first, it was pretty weird because it was so you know it was kind of iphone like only are you trying to use a keyboard and stuff, but that was a couple of years ago, and I still mostly use news on the phone because it just seems simpler than doing it on the Mac. But, um, you know, it certainly sounds good if they're doing adding the menu bars and keyboard stuff, because when you're using a Mac, you're going to have a keyboard, and that's certainly good to be able to take advantage of that.
0: I envy you being able to use the news app. It's not available in New Zealand. Apparently, New Zealanders don't need news. So, very strange. We can get Microsoft news and Google news, but we can't get news here. It's so weird, yeah. It is very bizarre. Um,
1: In regards to the Catalyst, they popped up another one of those screens with a million words on it. Um, And it's talking about all the features that Catalyst helps you implement. And so it's talking about full keyboard control, uh, trackpads, the touch bar, but it also specifically states accessibility.
0: Really? Okay, that's very positive then. People will be delighted about that. Yeah, so that's good. Now, Safari has been rewritten, it sounds like, essentially. It sounds like a brand new Safari. And all I can say is, well, let's just cross every single finger, which will be quite difficult because then it will be hard to type to enter an address in the address bar in Safari. (laughs) But one of the big things that used to frustrate the soup out of me when I was a Mac user is those two heart-stopping words, Safari busy. Is that still a thing, Anna? I mean, do you get a lot of Safari busy?
3: It certainly happens sometimes. It's better than it was a couple of years ago. Like it used to be that on PayPal, if God forbid I went to where you, the thing that says what your, is which account or credit card is going to pay for something, it would lock it up, uh, which was just ridiculous. Now it it happens mostly on just really graphics intensive sites and it doesn't, it isn't as big of an issue as it was.
0: All right. We'll have to have a look at that. There are some other really good features in Safari. I'd be interested to hear how you go. They say faster page loading. It was fast already. Uh, 50% faster, they say, than Chrome is loading and um, Chrome is pretty fast. It's just slightly faster in my experience on Windows. Uh, better with battery life as well. And uh, you can now see a privacy report in Safari for every website that you visit. Uh, Passwords are also being monitored now. There are websites that keep track of this stuff to ensure that you're not using a password that has been compromised in a data breach. Brilliant. They're also embracing web extensions more. This is where Safari has been a little left behind in the past. So there's a web extensions API, but in typical Apple style, there's a privacy uh, emphasis on this, you can have control over which sites an extension can use or for how long the extension can have access. And also now Safari has built-in <clears throat> translation. So that is all sounding very, very good. Um, you, you're looking forward to this Big Sur upgrade, Anna?
3: It sounds okay. I mean, I, I definitely think those privacy things Are good. Um, I do not run betas of the Mac if I can avoid it just because I'm already running other betas and, you know, at some point you just need something that isn't in flux. (laughs)
0: That's why I'm not a Windows (laughs) insider either.
3: (laughs) And then, especially since I do run VMware Fusion on my Mac, I really. You know, I don't need to be trying to, you know, then it would mess up everything I do if something goes catastrophically wrong with the beta. Um, but uh, those certainly sound like some good features for Safari.
0: Just while we're on the subject of that, how long until uh, both of you jump on the iOS 14 beta bandwagon? Mike, when are you going to leap on board?
2: Uh f- Probably never. I oh, especially man. not. Wow. Especially not with my main phone. I might uh, might sacrifice my iPhone Seven to that, but certainly not with the current phone. I I need that to work. That's how I let people in the apartment. So, you know, I have to be very careful about that. So, uh, plus, if, if I engage in another big project, uh, again, I need this this thing to work. It's it's my laptop replacement. So, yeah, uh, I'm very careful about that. What about you, Anna?
3: I'll probably do it pretty soon because Mm. um, I am going to be doing a iOS 14 without the iBook. And so, you know, the more time to uh, experiment and learn features and report bugs, the better.
0: Right. Okay. so, well, good luck. Good luck. I I have toyed with the idea of getting a separate um, iPhone for testing because I can't help myself. But I'll see how I go with the iPad um, and, and see how that works out. Now, the really big news today, I think, is that there is a very significant evolution happening in Macland, and this has been done before um, the PowerPC uh, platform trans- transitioned and we got Intel in its place and everybody was really excited about that because you could want, run Windows and boot camp and you could run virtual machines and uh, that was that was great, particularly for blind users who felt that there were certain applications or use cases for which Mac just wasn't quite there and you had the best of both worlds on one machine. Now, although the word ARM wasn't mentioned, maybe it was mentioned once, but they were very careful not to use it too often. Uh, what they are essentially doing is trans- uh, transitioning to an ARM platform. They're referring to it as Apple Silicon. And uh, this is absolutely Huge! Uh, they are going to get a lot more battery life from this. You'll be able to run iPad and iPhone apps on this machine as well without any uh, kind of modification. Um, it's uh, It's a very significant development. As a Mac user currently, how are you feeling about that, Anna?
3: Well, I was reassured to some degree by all of the talk of interoperability and how quickly things work and all of that. I hope it's true. Um, I really like being in both worlds. And because of the work that I do, it's really nice. You know, I I really like being in both the Mac and Windows world and being able to do that all from the same computer is super convenient. And I really hope that that can continue. Um, But I mean, it's certainly the fact that things like you know, Final Cut Pro that's super intensive and all of that, you know, in terms of its demands is already working natively with the new chipset. It certainly seems encouraging. So I guess cautiously hopeful.
0: (laughs) But it will mean the end of bootcamp and virtual machines for Windows, won't it? Because I noticed that they did mention Linux a few times, but they did not mention Windows. And I think, I mean, the only thing you'd be able to do would be to run potentially the ARM version of Windows, which uh, is pretty limited. Uh, so it, it looks like if you want to run Windows on um, in the future and you're a Mac user, you will have to get a Windows machine. Is that fair?
3: Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping that maybe... I mean, I use VMware Fusion anyway as opposed mm. to Boot Camp, so... Um, because I like having both operating systems active at once. Right. So I'm kind of hoping that maybe if VMware could run, you know, even if it needed Rosetta to run, um, I mean, hopefully it could run natively because that would obviously be better. But then if it could, you know, still, you know, maybe it could still ha- run Windows as a virtual machine. I really, I mean, there's no way to know at this point whether that is doable. I hope so. Of course, my current machine should last for a good couple more years at least. So um, I certainly hope that by the time I would need to upgrade that there would be a workable solution because it would massively mess up my workflow to have to, you know, if I couldn't run Windows because there are some things I do pretty regularly in Windows.
0: Yes, word processing being one, right?
3: um often although i am trying out ulysses which you know if i do that that would certainly be a lot less of that but yeah i'm broadcasting and
0: yeah yeah, I haven't Stuff found like anything that. that comes close to station playlist for 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 Mac. So yeah, there are a few applications like that. It's it's it was really fun hearing Apple being so forthcoming, which is so unlike Apple. And they're basically saying we we expect to have our first Mac running Apple Silicon by the end of the year. Uh, you can apply if you're a developer to get a Mac running this now, so you can start working away on app conversions. But they also indicated that there was new Mac hardware in the pipeline that would continue to be Intel-based. So that's extraordinarily revealing from Apple, really. Uh, So they've been really transparent about what's going on, and I guess we'll find out more from the VMware Fusion people in the near future about what they will be able to do. Um, Do you want to go back to the Mac now, Heidi, after having seen that?
1: It is tempting, but I feel like because I already have a Windows desktop, it's easier to have a Windows laptop as well.
0: Mm because you are in the ecosystem, because you transitioned out of the Mac mainly because of the butterfly keyboard.
1: Yeah, so Mm. my Mac spontaneously died one day.
0: It spontaneously exploded.
3: It
1: feels like it. It It's just stopped turning on. Anyway, (laughs) and I ended up getting a HP Spectre instead of a new Mac, just because I really couldn't stand the keyboard at the time. But they've changed it again,
3: haven't
0: they? Yes, they have. They've gone back to a much better keyboard. Yeah.
3: Thank goodness, because I've I've always loved their keyboards. Yes. Up in,
0: yeah. Yeah. Totally. So, yeah. Um, any any temptation for you, Mike, the idea that you could grab a Mac in the near future and run all your iOS apps on it too, and have super long battery life and all that kind of stuff? Uh, um, tempting no. or not?
2: Not really. Like I um I can't see that really tempting me ever again. I tried a Mac once, and and uh, I don't think I'll be. Looking back, Windows is is good for the computer needs, which really I have. I'm doing most of what I need to do on the iPhone now. Like my laptop has literally become a game machine and little else. Uh, so, I I don't see myself doing that now. I am kind of intrigued with now that they're they're doing all of their architectures, all of their uh, their focus on on these chips, the similar chips that are sort of being used everywhere in all their devices. I, I kind of I'm really hopeful that a lot of the efforts that go into making the Mac the super beast of a machine that they're known to be will trickle back to iOS devices over time so uh, you know when I'm ready I've got a I'm very happy with my iPhone 10R at the moment uh, you know when I'm ready to upgrade you know in three four years ish I'm thinking uh, you know that might be uh, I might benefit from some of what's happening right now.
0: Mm. You, you sort of can't help thinking that maybe we're heading to a point where there's just going to be one Apple operating system. I mean, it's it's getting more and more that way. But this is just right up Apple street because they are um, taking control of the hardware and the software, and they like that. And that's what's made iPhone and iPad so successful that they control the whole end-to-end experience. And so they'll be very excited about what they can do with these new Macs. And I'm looking forward to seeing what happens, and I just hope that VoiceOver gets some love. Is, is it unfair of me to suggest, Anna, that really VoiceOver's sort of played second fiddle in terms of Apple's accessibility engineers in recent times? You you get a lot of innovation in iOS, but really it's been a bit slow on the Mac side for quite a long time now.
3: Yeah, I mean, there were some pretty major improvements, I guess, maybe last or a couple of years ago where um, – like html elements were handled the same way in email finally as they were in ios and i mean in in safari um, things like that um, but yeah i mean there it, it seems like it's less of a priority maybe um, than with other versions i get probably fewer users i suppose but
0: 329P. there you go so that's a wrap then, basically from Apple's keynote. Just some final thoughts. We'll go round the table. Um, Mike, any closing thoughts on what we heard today?
2: Well, uh, I, I think it's you know th- this has obviously been polished, to, you know, and, and you know abbreviated for public consumption. So i for me i 'm thinking all of this stuff that uh, it, it it inspires me to me to really make a point of paying careful attention to the rest of wwdc the state of the platform address, particularly today i 'll look into that, but also uh, going forward at the, at the end, the design awards often there uh, we hear about ex- uh, apps that are potentially accessible uh, that 's happened a number of years and uh, other events in between the the sessions on voiceover. Uh, I, th- I think there's there's going to be a lot of that uh, channeled at developers that we uh, that for that's where we'll pick up the real interesting new tidbits about iOS, the details of voiceover upgrading, things like that that I'm certainly keen to hear. So there's you know this was interesting. I I like the pace of it. It was I I kind of agree that the, the applause is 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 kind of it adds a social vibe to it, but it's not necessary. And the pacing was good. Uh, I I am intrigued by future benefits of what's happening with the Macs and with the chip. Everything now is is, uh, Apple-controlled in their ecosystem, so that will be interesting to see what benefits that will trickle back into iOS.
0: And Anna, final thoughts from you.
3: Well, I think that having the conference be free to everyone means that, that a lot more developers can take part And of course they could do some, a lot of some stuff remotely in the past, but that seems exciting in terms of just, you know, the more people that are out there, uh, developing apps and the more likely there are to be innovations. And it seems like Apple itself is still being quite innovative. And, um, you know, I think it was a pretty interesting WWDC and like, um, keynote and it seems like. We have some good stuff to look forward to. What do you reckon, Heidi?
1: I think it was a just the experience of this keynote was actually really cool to watch. I, I like the format. They should do it more. Um, I'm quite happy with iOS, especially because that's the one I mainly interact with. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it was pretty good this year.
0: Yeah, I, sometimes we do these podcasts, and I kind of think yawn fest, That was it, but th- not this year. I thought there was some, perhaps a few, quite substantive changes. And of course, our fingers will be crossed for uh, a much less buggy initial release later in the year. Lots of things still to come. We still haven't heard about the Apple tags, and we know they exist. We know there are new Macs floating around, so th- there is going to be at some point a lot of hardware to talk about as well so thank you all of you uh, Michael Fair and Adresna Heidi Taylor for being uh, with us on the podcast really appreciate your insights we'll be discussing WWDC in the next episode of Mosin at Large and I'd love to know what you think drop an email with an audio attachment or just write something down to jonathan at mushroomfm.com or call the listener line 864-60-MOSIN in the United States 864-606-6736 Mosin at large, large.